Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, March 30th, 2022, and I'm your host, Marty Bennett. Today on the Roundup, we're going to be taking a look at three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last week and giving our perspectives on these topics and how you might be able to leverage this information as you do what you do in your work in international education. So let's get first to our questions. As we do each week, we take our uh, questions and themes that we cover here on the Roundup through our uh, newsletter that comes out on Mondays. It's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And I'm dropping the link to this most recent edition of the um, newsletter uh, in the chat, as well as our smieconsulting.org slash subscribe site, where you can subscribe to the newsletter if you're not already. This newsletter reaches your news uh, inbox in, on Monday mornings at about 9 a.m. Eastern and includes uh, both social media stories and international education stories across a wide range of issues, both domestically here in the U.S. and globally, and oftentimes where those uh, two areas, international ed and social media, interact. So we cover that in the newsletter and then go more in-depth into the themes we see developing through these news stories on our roundup here on Wednesday. So let's get first uh, right away to our questions, and that is, first up, what do current surveys say about international students? And we start here uh, when we talk about student surveys. There's a, a, always a plethora of them around, and this time of year certainly seems to bring about quite a few more than, than normal. And we've, we see here uh, in this first survey, it's actually uh, referenced in a Study International piece, which is primarily, for those who aren't familiar, Study International is our student-focusing uh, pieces that cover uh, topics related to study in various, in, uh, various destination countries. Uh, sometimes they have uh, pieces by individual institutions, but for purposes of our exercise here on the Roundup, we take some of their news stories that are student-focused to see what those messages are that are being shared internationally. And there's a survey that they cover here, a couple different ones actually. Uh, first up is a, a survey by um, by a group uh, called, uh, called Interstride that found that 42% of survey respondents chose to study in the U.S. due to rankings and reputation of American universities. So that was the number one choice. Uh, second criteria that motivated uh, students to study in the U.S., according to this Interstride survey, was uh, working in the country after graduation at only 23%. Now, uh, part of what we see here with this survey is how potentially different uh, motivations for international students are to that want to study in the United States are from maybe other destination markets where perhaps immigration benefits are much more uh, a part of the conversation, but they're also because they're much more a part of the messaging from those different countries. And this article points out uh, how much Canada has uh, jumped ahead of the United States in recent years in terms of marketing itself as a welcoming, open destination for international students and immigrants. Uh, and talks, makes very clear the pathways for international students to become uh, working, uh, to work after graduation, but also to potentially become potent, uh, permanent residents and citizens. So uh, this article, I certainly think, kind of gives, gives a good starting point for our conversations when we talk about surveys. What I also want to point out is 
in uh, the second article, which is an Inside Higher Ed article, we see some references to, um, that's a, a primarily domestic survey uh, that's uh, put out uh, by Student Voice. And this uh, is for, uh, sponsored by Kaplan, sought perspectives from both students whose college search and enrollment were impacted by the pandemic and those who are already in college by spring 2020. So it's looking at both groups, both prospective and enrolled st students. And these are in the United States, so it's uh, primarily domestic students, but the interesting facts of this survey or the, the results of this survey show that uh, that students are had a variety of reasons for, uh, for cho choosing the col their college, primarily being major or program of interest, uh, good overall academic rep reputation, proximity to home, quality of academics, uh, price of tuition, financial aid packages, so on. Those are typical domestic responses when it comes to why students uh, uh, choose to study in uh, particular countries. What we do see in uh, this data uh, by student group is uh, some interest, interesting side notes there, but they do uh, have uh, f some factors in the college choice besides that. So it's a good domestic survey and there's some overlap obviously internationally, but I bring this up to say, uh, this particular survey up to point out the fact that we're, we're often talking about apples and oranges when we uh, talk about how students are responding to uh, or what they're looking for most in their college searches. So this article certainly points out for domestic students it, that, that they're driven by potentially a very different set of, in, of criteria uh, in terms of uh, major, having the major, having reputation. So reputation's up there. Uh, major was 65%, 56% was academic reputation. That's probably the closest to uh, rankings and recognition that the international students might might. Uh, spend their time focused on. So domestics, the student voice survey certainly pre presents a slightly different set of topics um, when it comes to the student, uh, why students are interested in studying in uh, certainly in the United States. Again, apples and oranges, obviously, in terms of who was surveyed, international students in the first one uh, by Innerstride and domestics in this student voice survey. Uh, another survey that came out recently is uh, we talked about last week a little bit on the roundup was through Education Rethink uh, that uh, surveyed uh, 1,000 students from more than 100 countries uh, that uh, were at more than 125 institutions in the United States. About half, a little over half were graduate students, 34 were undergrad, 9% were postgrad or doctoral or fellowship. So many of these were in high, uh, were in STEM fields at highly ranked universities in terms of their, um, the target uh, or the responding students for this survey. And the author of the survey, or the one who, yeah, the author of the survey, uh, Ms. Anna Asaki-Smith, suggests in this article for in the ICF Monitor, which I'll be dropping a link to, along with all the other news stories, into the comments section here on the Facebook page and other outlets. So we see, uh, with this one, we see uh, the ICF Monitor uh, report says, across these different levels, international students are... Uh, motivated by uh, that work opportunity uh, and the reputation, as and which also backs up the Interstride survey. The main draw of studying in the U.S. is the reputation of the country's colleges and universities. Forty-one percent. Uh, excuse me, no, that's not that. Forty-one percent is a different one, uh, but indicates that uh, students are overall satisfied with their experience and would recommend it to other students. So that's positive news for the U.S. That oh, that's an overall satisfaction and rec would recommend. 
So we always want to see those numbers. Uh, and that more than four out of 10, so 41% are looking to stay in the U.S. after graduation and work for a few years. Another three in 10 want to work in the U.S. for a longer period of time, potentially become permanent residents and eventually citizens. And I certainly feel that uh, this, is, this is something because we're talking about students who are already in the United States, not prospective students, as opposed to the, the Interstride survey, which had a mix of both, uh, prospective and current. Uh, we see in this survey uh, that looks at enrolled students, motivations may have changed after they've gotten to, to the United States. And that's an important piece uh, to consider in, in the mix. And because a lot of times you uh, want to have, um, we all, I always talk about the international student journey uh, to all my university clients about how important that is to uh, have touch points throughout that journey, not just at the prospective student stage and to be able to communicate with current students, but also have current student opinions, recent alumni opinions, longstanding alumni opinions on why they chose their, your institution. And that's the kind of thing that will play more into future students' interests along the way. So to have the perspective as, hey, when I, when I looked at uh, studying in the United States, my, uh, all I saw was uh, the rankings of institutions, and maybe that wasn't the best idea. But what I've found since I've been here is how well my institution that I've chose has prepared me for life after graduation in terms of that employment piece, which is increasingly uh, a, a point of uh, not emphasis that many universities do not have a, a laser-focused interest in at this point for international students. Certainly, career services offices around the country, they have a mission at, on university campuses, campuses to per, make sure their, their current students are getting their resumes together and CVs together, preparing for interviews uh, that are knowing how to work a job fair, knowing how to have an interview when you in person versus virtual, and all the interesting elements that go into finding a, a job these days. But what they, what they often don't do is have content that's, all, that's specific for international students because, as we all know, international students in the United States, they are under a very different set of rules when it comes to employment as opposed to U.S. students. So we, when we see this and see the motivations continue to be work-focused, when we're not connecting those outcomes in our recruitment messaging, we're missing, the, missing a, a very significant opportunity to connect with students and what their ultimate concerns and goals are in terms of their reasons for coming to the United States. Hey, yeah, I want to get a good degree, but hey, I might want to work for, for one to three to more years uh, in the United States, get that experience before I go home. Maybe I won't go home at all. But part of that is the nature of the immigration system and the regulations we have in the U.S. that limit it uh, because uh, the immigration visa they come to the U.S. on, uh, F1s typically, is not a dual intent visa. They can't just say all of a sudden, hey, I want to I want to stay. And when they're applying for a visa, they can't say, I'm, I'm, I may be work and maybe stay in the United States after I'm done. So that complete in the past has potentially led students to make very critical mistakes in the visa interview and be denied visas for the opportunity to come even even start their studies. So I think this ICEF monitor report does put things in perspective for the United States in terms of what our issues are. Uh, when you have more than 40% of students citing that uh, is that reputation is the is the is the reason why they choose to study in the in the U.S. and prospective students saying 23 percent 
Uh, 23% said before they came that was their primary motivation, but now it's more than 40% do. Uh, they that that you see is uh, where the, where there's some disconnects happening. That things do change after they arrive and say, "Wow, I I could I could maybe make a future here," and that's something that we really want to pay attention to uh, in how we market our institutions, frankly, because a lot of times we spend uh, so much focus on why our institutions are so good because we're ranked, because we have a great campus, because we have great facilities and small classrooms and great attention from faculty. All that's great and sub and will tick certain boxes for certain students. But you want to dig deeper when you make these, uh, when you're making your pitch to students to say, hey, we are so much more than just our rankings. We are all about preparing you for the next step after you're done with us. And we want to help you get there. And uh, we're going to equip you with the tools to get you there. And those messages are so infrequently part of and documenting them and not just having you say it, uh, but also having statistics to back it up uh, from career services and alumni status and alumni offices and such, but also having that student, fresh student content, uh, content or recent graduate content that you can turn to and say, hey, my institution prepared me fantastically well in terms of the academic side of things, but they also prepared me well for the nuts and bolts of how to get that job and prepared me well for uh, getting, to me, getting me to where I am today. So we see that uh, as a really significant, uh, should see that as a really significant piece of the puzzle for helping you get your institution where it needs to be. So let's uh, move on to the next article in this uh, last one on the uh, student survey piece, and that's from our old friends at IDP. Uh, their latest uh, IDP Connect uh, uh, data that uh, came out, uh, their New Horizons data uh, for future students, emerging futures, I should say. Uh, overall, the students surveyed uh, more than 10,000 uh, students worldwide uh, that uh, this has seen, uh, certainly during the Trump administration, we saw these uh, used to be called student buyer behavior reports and other various names, but uh, we've seen uh, this report from IDP Connect really look at the data to show how the U.S. and other destinations, so the primary U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand, fared in terms of um, prospective students' opinions on why they chose, why they were looking at certain markets over others. So what has, uh, what has come out of this uh, data uh, from IDP? Uh, we see uh, in the more than 10,000 students that were surveyed, we, we see a complex picture of student intentions, as the article says in the Pi News that you'll uh, get a link to here in the chat on our Facebook page. Uh, you'll see that um, here, and I'll drop in the link now. Uh, that article really has uh, a lot of uh, good data from the Pi, as usual, on uh, when it's going into details on, on these surveys. Uh, that uh, where the students were from, I think, was probably the most representative of the major destination markets that I've seen uh, in terms of where they are in the world. Uh, that uh, of the 10,000, we had about uh, 2,100 from India, about 2,000 from China, uh, remaining uh, students in a series of eight or nine other countries, Philippines, Bangladesh, Kenya, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Indonesia, Pakistan, and Vietnam, uh, that uh, are, some of these students already have plans to begin studies in the fall or, or next year. 
uh, that the, they have data in this report uh, that in the report, I think if, you, if you're members, you get this as IDP members, you get, uh, get this automatically. What, uh, they have data specifically on the top two markets, China's Chinese students and what their impressions are of the top four markets, Indian students as their impressions. Uh, what did come out of the data, one of the most important factors that uh, is kind of the lead for this Pi News article is that Canada is the top choice with over a quarter of all responding students uh, indicating Canada as the top destination of choice uh, for uh, for future students. The U.S. Uh, placed second in uh, second spot with 20 percent. Uh, U.K. and Australia were joint third at 19 percent. So you might remember, and they, they rank uh, the IDP surveys rank students or rank destinations uh, in a sort of like a foot race. Uh, first on quality, and the U.S. has U.S. has always been at or near the top of that that marker, and still is. It may have been in second place uh, in, during the Trump administration, but it looks like it's bounced back to a top destination for for quality of academics. Uh, you see uh, uh, opportunities for work after graduation. U.S. and uh, I think. Uh, UK or, may, or maybe Canada are in the top three there. Uh, you see um, the U.S. even improving a bit in safety, not as much, but uh, you, that used to be a very significant issue. Funding opportunities, uh, costs of education, not as uh, not as highly rega highly regarded uh, for the U.S. as uh, as some of the other markets, but Canada cl comes out clearly on on top in each of these. Uh, for Chinese students, you saw the UK and the US receiving top billing, uh, top not as first choice destination, with 21 and 18% indicating that China was their preferred destination uh, from from 21%. Yeah, there we go. 18% uh, indicated China was a, a leading destination. Uh, IDP pointed to recent policy announcements in Australia, according to the article, as unhelpful. Uh, as the country's universities seek to regain lost market share. For Indian students, Australia is in fourth place, which is worrying because uh, China is had been the number one source and India was number two and with Nepal and Vietnam coming up behind. But you see in India, Indian students kind of slipping uh, in their perceptions of Australia. A lot of that may have to do with uh, some of the negative uh, negative uh, consequences of COVID when they were forced, uh, those that were enrolled in Australian universities during the pandemic, obviously not being able to get into the country because their borders had been closed in Australia for two years and only have just now re re reopened to vaccinated students. Uh, that you found students being Indian students at many institutions in Australia being charged uh, the same rates, uh, whether they were in person or studying virtually. And for many of them, studying virtually meant doing their classes all on their phones. Uh, and uh, if you're in India uh, trying to do uh, a degree program on your phone and you're paying the same as if same tuition as if you were in person in, on campus, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, and so I think a lot of the countries that kept their borders closed, that weren't didn't have uh, tuition policies that were a little bit more friendly to international students will pay the price long term. And those countries will pay the price. Those institutions will pay the price. So these student surveys, I think, are great to keep your fingers on the pulse of what's going on, to perhaps tweak your messaging uh, so that uh, you're so that you know what you're what you're putting out certainly uh, is hitting the mark in terms of what students' expectations are. 
And certainly this, uh, this recent survey, the recent surveys we've covered today from Interstride, from Education Rethinks, from uh, Student Voice, and now the IDP one that is perhaps the most comprehensive global one that we've seen recently, I think you're going to see a lot of focus uh, uh, hopefully a lot more focused by U.S. institutions on making sure the content that you're providing out in your messaging uh, to uh, your future students aligns in some ways with what students are asking for. Because ultimately, when you make those connections to what students uh, are want versus what you're providing, when those align most closely, that's when you're going to have the best return. So hopefully this would provide some important uh, food for thought moving forward. Now let's move on to our second question of the day, and that is YUS, hashtag YUS. This is a new campaign that uh, began at Temple University, and uh, kudos to the folks at Temple. They've been on the forefront of what's really going on uh, uh, in terms of uh, taking the initiative on some things. We saw after the election in 2016, we saw how, uh, how students uh, that we saw how students were a little bit hesitant after the election with uh, an, a, a new president coming in that had very much an anti-immigrant tone and had policies that certainly the realities of which played against uh, what a lot of international education is all about. Uh, those policies uh, really impacted the United States. And as a result, uh, there had been, right after the election, in fact, uh, Temple, uh, Temple University and Study Group uh, teamed up on a campaign that became global, uh, Why Are You Are Welcome Here? And that uh, was handed off to NAFSA after, uh, after some staffing changes at Temple when it clearly needed to be on a national level. So uh, that was something that came out of Temple. And now this YUS campaign. Uh, this is something that is, uh, for my money, is a, is a good good step and probably a long overdue step for the United States. We've heard talk of Education USA doing this new global campaign. Not seen a lot of that uh, recently, uh, in, in certainly in higher ed news uh, from them, uh, but certainly we've seen the Department of Commerce uh, through uh, their Education USA, a or USA, a study destination that they formed uh, about uh, three years ago now at, at NAFSA in, in, in D.C. That, that, was, that organization was formed as a way to kind of represent all the state organizations, state consortium uh, individual organizations that existed uh, to kind of promote the U.S. as a destination. So that's kind of uh, uh, this YUS campaign is on top of that. It's endorsed by commerce and, and the education or USA, a study destination group. Uh, so we see what what this is really targeted to, and I've dropped the link to uh, the Temple site that explains the YUS. And really, it's uh, the site itself is a uh, it's a call to uh, how the U.S. how U.S. institutions should be talking about themselves and about the United States as a destination of choice. Why is it so? Uh, because of quality, which we've talked about already. Because of flexibility and choice, professional opportunities, global diversity, uh, diverse locations, intellectual foundation, exceptional support, leadership development, uh, and outcomes, obviously. So uh, it's these, it's really a toolkit, I think, for U.S. institutions more than anything else right now in terms of what this site is designed to do is to help U.S. institutions start thinking 
about not just promoting yourself as an institution, but the United States as a whole. Because this is this is plays right along with what I've been talking about uh, for the last two years in terms of our six P's of strategic international enrollment management. That first and most important P is perspective. And we talk about this perspective because we have to realize over the last 20 years, uh, we, the United States, the share of the, our global mark, of the globally student mobile pie has decreased from 28% to 20% uh, since 20, 2000, the year 2000. And our overall numbers have increased up until the last year with the COVID, with the impact of the pandemic. But our competition has expanded exponentially. Uh, previously, it was just the UK and maybe Australia were our major competitors for international students. But now it's Canada. Now it's China even and New Zealand and Ireland and other destinations. Germany and France and Europe, Malaysians and Indonesia in East Asia and Singapore as well. We see all these other countries that have become major destinations. But um, we as a country haven't done a universal job, other than what the good work that our folks, our friends at Education USA do every every day. As a, as universities, we need to take the opportunity and the initiative, like Temple is doing here, to be able to better talk about our des our country as a destination first, before we start talking about all our individual institutional qualities, because that's the piece that's really missing now in a globally competitive market. How well are you articulating the benefits of coming to the United States? states, not just your institution. And that's something that I, I encourage all my uh, all client universities to do is start when you're talking about your messaging, when you're talking about marketing your campaign, your institution abroad, how are you doing that? And what are what tools are you using to really make a difference in uh, changing the way you talk about it? so that to show that you want these students to come to your campus, that it's not just all the things we're going to do for you, it's also what you can do for us as a student from your country to share your culture, to help our international, our domestic students get a better perspective on the world and your country, to be ambassadors for your country on our campus. And that's the thing when you are looking at things from the student perspective and seeing that, hey, they want me here. It's not just all these things that are going to, I want to be able to do while I'm at that institution. They want me to come because of what I can do for them. And that turns things on its head in terms of the way most students are marketed to in the United States uh, and around the world, I would say. So, but we need to do a better job collectively in terms of talking about the benefits of the United States in order to be able to attract the best students to our college campuses. So let's get to the third question and our final question of the day. And we'll talk briefly about this because it's, it's kind of a cautionary tale. And uh, there are colleagues in the business that will have uh, some concerns about, well, we're just being practical, we're being safe. But uh, we're talking here about the impact of closed borders and what that has on uh, future students' interest. And I'm putting uh, links to three different, uh, or two, primarily two different countries' uh, main, uh, main policies at present that are in the process of changing, and that's in Australia and, uh, and China. Uh, the three uh, the three countries besides China, which is still closed, there's an article uh, that uh, from Study International again uh, that says the Chinese foreign, foreign ministry is announcing that 
uh, a small number of, uh, of students are going to be readmitted uh, soon, but they're not putting a timeline on it. They've been saying that for a while, but haven't, haven't actually done it yet. Other than to uh, some of, the, some of the, the more prestigious schools like NYU Shanghai and Duke Kunshan, who have been able to get international students back into, the, into China to finish, finish their degree programs, uh, you see in China, uh, this one article from Quartz uh, says that China has forgotten about its foreign graduate students. And uh, there are going to be long-term consequences. Uh, I, in, my, in my opinion, the, uh, what China's done with their zero-tolerance policy uh, for COVID-19 has backfired. And it's going to have long-term negative consequences on their ability to enroll international students. It might make the students that are in the in country feel like, okay, we're safe here. But when we know we know what the impact has been over two years of lockdowns and and mass mandates and all the other restrictions we think we have in the United States and how fed up we are with that in China, it's it's ten times as as significant in terms of restrictions. And we've just seen Shanghai go into a nine day lockdown for both parts of the city. They're taking turns in the eastern half and then the western half of the city. Twenty five million people in, in Shanghai are affected by this lockdown because of 2,100 cases of COVID that appeared in the last, uh, last week or so. But uh, that zero tolerance policy is costing them and it's costing them reputationally. We see, we see in Australia the damage that was done uh, when borders were closed for two years. We're seeing it in, uh, in New Zealand as well, which whose borders won't be open till April and only for 5,000 students in the first year. So we're seeing a very different message from these three countries than Australia, than Canada, than the UK, than the US that have remained largely open in terms of the borders uh, to, to uh, individuals who could secure visas and come into the country. That's not been the case globally uh, and certainly not for these three uh, uh, three countries: China, Australia, and New Zealand. So we've talked. We talked about New Zealand last week in our certainly in our newsletter. We focused on that. A couple articles on the impact in New Zealand for uh, returning international students and those that are looking to start new. Uh, New Zealand's already being upfront and saying uh, new students really aren't going to be coming in full force until 2023. So they're a year out from being able to begin programs there uh, in person in country. So we're we see a lot of. Um, a, a, a lot of uh, reputational damage being done to these countries that have decided to keep their borders closed longer. Uh, and I think uh, we'll see long term how that will, it will impact them. But for now, I really see the, 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 um, they're, they're going to continue to be a downturn in Australia. And for China, I think uh, they had made a great run, frankly. They were up to second in, uh, in the total international student numbers uh, at, to up to a point uh, just behind the U.S. at a little over 500,000. Then the U.K. rebounded well. China dro has dropped uh, since the pandemic started. And the numbers, I think, will be borne out in the coming year uh, that they will those numbers will continue to, to decline. Uh, it's, up to, it's up to the Chinese government to do some damage control, PR spin, and whatever else it needs to do uh, once borders do reopen to regain their share of the market. But it's going to be a longer road back, and they will have lost a lot of ground. So we'll see what happens with that. So that's all we have for you today on the Midweek Roundup. We really appreciate you joining us live uh, for uh, the Roundup uh, on Twitter, 
Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. It's the first time we're, do we're broadcasting live across all four of those channels. We're so glad that you can be a part of the message today. Uh, for those of you who are listening on our podcast uh, after the fact, uh, we appreciate you always being a part of our regular listening audience. So thanks very much. And until next week, where we'll be reporting live from the ACRO conference in Portland, Oregon, uh, we'll be sharing a live feed from that uh, event to uh, let you know how things have uh, are developing with a return to in-person conferences. So until next time, we wish you the very best. Have a great day.